Thank you, praise team, uh, as always. I was blessed. I trust that all of us in here were. I uh, love to sing the Lord's praises with you guys. It's a great privilege and, you know, it's a foretaste of heaven. I don't know how many nations we have in here tonight, but we have a number of them. And, and so it is always a foretaste of heaven to worship together um, in an international church. At Christmas, you may remember, we talked about the implications of God being in a manger. Uh, if that really is God in a manger, um, there are implications. I, I think I quoted to you that great line in Franco Zeffirelli's movie, Jesus of Nazareth, when Matthew was talking to Peter, and Peter said, well, I'm going to go back in the spring. And Matthew said, you're never going back. You're not going to go back. The whole world has changed. The Messiah is here and nothing else will ever be the same again. I love that line. It's a great line in that movie. And Matthew is right. If God's in a manger, everything's changed. Everything's changed for every man, woman, boy, and girl. And if God's in that manger... And He's in that manger because He's going to the cross for you and me. (laughs) He matters more than anything else possibly ever could in your life. And if that's not how it is with you and Jesus, then I, I can only surmise that you haven't really met Him yet. Because if you've met Him, it would be like this with you. You would realize that He is your God, He is your Lord, He is your Savior. And He invites His people to come and go with Him, right? To be His disciple. This is what we've been talking about the last several weeks. If that really is God in a manger, He can't be some small religious habit. If that really is God in a manger, He's your whole life. We live our whole lives under the umbrella of His Lordship and the fact that He is our God. In our first two sermons of the new year, we've talked about the implications of who this God in the manger says He is. We've talked about, in particular, three attributes of God. Anybody remember one? Don't be shy. Pardon me? Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Last week, we talked about the faithfulness of God. Anybody remember any others? We talked about two others principally through the lens of Hebrews 11.6. Pardon me? We did talk about God's sovereignty. Perfect. That's beautiful. Uh, He is God, Hebrews 11.6. If we're to please God, we must not only believe that He is, but that He is a, someone tell me, a rewarding God. He's a good God. We've been talking about these three things. If these three things are true about that God who's in a manger... If He's a sovereign God, the, the, the God of Psalm 99, 1-3, the great reigning God, you remember the text, the Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble, He's enthroned above the cherubim, let the earth shake. If that God's in a manger, <laughs> yeah, He matters more than anything else possibly could. And if He's infinitely good, and infinitely loving, and He's wholly committed to His people. You remember Isaiah 41.10. We looked at that text. I love what God said. He said, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now, doesn't that give you a lot of freedom? 
in 2014, if you believe that this God is uh, minding your business, so to speak, He's got His hand on you, He says, don't look anxiously about you, for I am your God. I will be with you. And as Chris reminded us last week, we looked at Lamentations chapter 3, the faithfulness of God. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is Thy faithfulness. If God is like this, and I ask you this question a lot, how, how can we live it small in the world? How can we call ourselves Christians and then live it small in the world? You just don't find it in the Bible. You don't find people living the fact that they've met God, God has invaded their life, God is part of their life. You just don't see it in Scripture that they just go on with business as usual. You just don't see it. Unbelievers do, but the believer never does. It changes everything as we've been saying. So what are the implications of the realities that God is God, He's, he's sovereign, he's, he's good, He's faithful? Obviously, there are a lot of things we can say about this, but I want to focus on two implications. And uh, I think that's why the Lord gave me this text to preach again tonight. I want to focus on two implications of the fact that our God is who He says He is. That is, we can trust Him enough to engage in radical obedience in 2014. Because He's sovereign, He's good, and He's faithful. The second implication that we'll talk about next week, which is very important as well, is that we can trust Him enough to satisfy our souls in the midst of great trial in 2014. If great trial comes our way in 2014, we'll be ready. We'll be ready. So those are the two things I want to talk about. Uh, one this week and one next week. This week we'll talk about how to trust God in hard obedience as we're going to see in, in uh, the life of Gideon. And next week, we'll talk about how to trust God in hard providence, as we will see in the life of Job. I haven't taught Job in two years, and it's, I think it's almost ministerial malpractice that I haven't preached it. I think it's, it's a sermon that I'd like to preach at least once a year, so we have our bearings, because there's so much garbage being preached these days about naming and claiming and prosperity gospel. You know, you just need to go to Job and read the Bible and be still and understand that God is sovereign on the hard day. God is good on the hard day, even as He is on the day of great blessing. Oswald Chambers says this, God brings us to the place where He asks us to believe Him and obey Him, but too often we begin to debate with Him. That moment becomes a great crossroads in our lives and we have to decide for God or against God. I've seen this many times in my 30 years of lay and vocational ministry. God will bring you to... You call yourself a Christian, God's going to bring you to the place where you have to decide, do I really believe Him? Do I really trust Him? It's going to happen. It happens in every Christian's life. It's all over the pages of Scripture. It always happens. God will bring you to that place. You know, this little book we give away, uh, it's one of my favorite. The young adults studied it last year, I think it was. Uh, Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper. And you may remember, some of you young adults will remember, 
that Piper says, obedience is always risk. Obviously, there are different levels of risk, but obedience is always risk. And he says it's always right to take that risk. Because God is magnified when you obey Him, when it's costly. God is magnified. God is magnified when we obey Him like that. So, that's part of our New Year's resolution in 2014, at least mine, that I will decide for God this year like I never have before, even if it looks risky. We're going to go first to Numbers 13. So you might want to open your Bibles. We're going to go there quickly and see how we're not supposed to live. We're going to look at this uh, text. Um, you guys will be familiar with it. It's Kadesh Barnea. Just to bring you up to speed, there are two, approximately two million Jews standing on the border of the Promised Land. God has brought them out of Egypt with great power. He has crushed. God has crushed the most powerful nation in that region. And God has brought His people to Kadesh Barnea. Numbers 13, 1 and 2, Then the Lord spoke to Moses. He said, Send out for yourselves men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. I love this command of God. He, he tells Moses what to do, but on the, on the end of the, the command there, he, he tacks on another promise. He says, I'm going to give it to you. He says, it's a done deal if you believe me. I love that about the Lord. And you know that's true, right? Beloved, it's a done deal if you go with God. It's a done deal. <laughs> what? It's a done deal. As we've been talking about the last few weeks, God told Moses to go spy out the land. He said, go look at it and find out what it's about. God said, go spy it out and see what this project is going to take. See what it's going to uh, take to walk with me. Evaluate the obstacles. Assess the risk. Count the cost. Do you believe me enough to go take the promised land? It's really a test. It's the same kind of tests that God has always given to His people. Do you really believe me? Will you obey me like you believe me? Out in the world, this is what the Lord is doing in this case. He wants them to know that the land is good, but He wants them to know they can't go up into the promised land without Him. Right? They can't do it without Him. You know, I see many Christians who think they can be Christians without God. <laughs> I don't understand it. It makes no sense to me. Obviously, this is not biblical Christianity. You know, you can do church without God. You can do church your whole life without God. Never meet God. But you can't walk with, that. You can't walk with Jesus without God. You can't obey the Lord without God. You can't do what God is calling you to do in 2014 without God. Now you can be religious and you can be a churchgoer but if you're going to be a disciple, you need God. And God wants the Jews to understand that. He wants them to understand they can't take the promised land without Him. That's part of the lesson that He is teaching them. Oswald Chambers again, faithfulness to Jesus. Listen, I want you to listen to me. Faithfulness to Jesus means that I must step out even when and where I can't see anything. This is what faith means, right? Faith is not intellectual understanding. Faith is a deliberate commitment to the person of Jesus Christ. Even when I can't see the way ahead, 
Are you debating whether you should take a step of faith in Jesus or whether you should wait until you can clearly see how to, to do what He's asked? And here's my favorite line ever written by a man who wasn't writing Scripture. Some of you already know what I'm going to say. Oswald Chambers says, Simply obey the Lord, does anybody know, with glad, reckless joy. I want to ask you, is that the ambiance of your life? Are you ready to joyfully obey the Lord? No matter how risky it looks, no matter how costly it looks, this is the call, beloved. This is, it. This is the call. To summarize Numbers 13, 25 to 30 here, the spies, they go in and, and, and they spy out the land, but they come back with a report. And they say, man, the land is great, but there are giants in the land. These people are huge. The cities are fortified. We can't go up against them. So what are they really saying? God's already promised them the land. What are they really saying? They're saying, I don't believe He's God enough to keep His promise. How many Christians live exactly like that every single day? They're really saying, I don't believe He's God enough to keep His promise. He's not God enough to take the promised land. <laughs> Beloved, born-again believers are not to think like this. Many who call themselves Christians, they come to a crisis or a test of faith and they will not believe that God is the God of Psalm 99.1. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He's enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth shake. A lot of people who call themselves Christians don't really believe He's that much of a God. Beloved, you, you profess that He's God. He expects you to live like you believe He's God. And sometimes it's going to look impossible. <laughs> sometimes it will look impossible. What He's calling you to do will not add up on paper. Just throw the paper away. It's not going to add up. I can't tell you how many times Karen and I have come to that place where it just doesn't add up. And when it doesn't add up, you know what we do? We immediately throw the paper away. We're not going to look at... You know, as I said once before, it's not about the numbers adding up, it's about God showing up, right? And beloved, if you belong to Him, He's going to show up. He will show up. So let me ask you, how will you respond in 2014 when you come to your personal Kadesh Barnea? Will you believe? Will you trust? Will you obey? Will you act on the promises of God? Don't you love Caleb here? Verse 30 of chapter 13 of Numbers, Caleb said, by all means we should do it. Why? Why was Caleb so uh, confident? Because he was such a great warrior? Why was he so confident? What does he say? The Lord will give it to us. How does he know the Lord will give it to him? Because God's promised it to him. You know, he just... But we're just supposed to believe what the Lord has said and act upon it. You gotta love Caleb here. I love him. He says, by all means, we should go up and act upon the promise of God. The other spies were looking at all the obstacles. I bet you do that sometimes too. You know, sometimes I'll start to look at the obstacles and I have to immediately remind myself that these are no obstacles for the for the God of Psalm 99. 
The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He's enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth shake. This is not a problem to God. You know, I see a problem. It's not a problem to God, right? God knows what to do with the impossible. Amen? God knows what to do with the impossible. It makes me think of that man. You remember Jesus was talking to this guy over in Mark 9. And he was struggling to believe. And Jesus said, if you're able to believe, all things are possible. Do you remember what the man, you remember what the man said? Do you remember the man's prayer? I do believe. Help my unbelief. Listen, if you're going to be a disciple, you have to have that prayer in your hip pocket, man. You've got to pray that all the time. Because we're always tempted not to believe God. That's the natural flow of the human flesh. We're always tempted not to believe Him. We always are. If it's just a nanosecond, we have that nanosecond of, you know, of fear and anxiety. But beloved, we need to learn God correctly. He is our rock. He is our deliverer. He is our refuge. He can be trusted. He is God and He's a good God. If you're going to walk with Jesus, you have to have this prayer. Lord God, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. To summarize Numbers 14, 1-4, God's in the middle of blessing these, these people. He's in the middle of giving them what they want, what they've always wanted. But they will, you know, they're one step away, but they won't take the step. The step is faith. It's the step that, that's required by faith. It's the step they won't take. You know, I've seen it many times, many churches. You know, people will nod their heads on Sunday. Yeah, that's, that's good, good. Way to preach. Way to go, preacher. Way to go. That's good doctrine. That's dogma. I like that. I see that in the Bible. That's great. You know. And they go out in the world and they won't do it. They won't do it. They don't believe He's got enough out in the world. They're one step, one step from realizing their dreams and they won't do it. They say, let's go back to Egypt. Right? What's in Egypt? Anybody remember what's in Egypt? Slavery. Meaningless lives. Bondage. Wasted lives. Hopeless lives. And by the way, Egypt is what is left for us if we decide against God. Egypt is slavery, but the, the Jews reasoned that at least it was safe. Egypt is bondage, but at least we understand it. Egypt is meaningless, but it is manageable. I see this, I've seen this many times over the many years in ministry. And we talked a little bit about it. It was last week or the week before how many Christians will just get comfortable in the, the little box that the world says we should live in. You know, the rest of the world's living in this little box of conformity. You know, I have to do exactly, I, I live by the same rules the world lives by wrong. If you call yourself a Christian, you are not constrained by those rules, you live outside the box. If you call yourself a Christian, many so-called Christians are so enamored with the illusion of worldly security, and beloved, it is an illusion. If you've been duped by the illusion of worldly security, let me happily burst your bubble. It's an illusion. There is no earthly, worldly security. It all can be gone tomorrow. It's an illusion. It's a lie. Actually, it's a lie. 
Christians are not to be risk-averse in the spiritual realm. We're supposed to believe God and act upon His promises. So what will you do in 2014? Will you decide for or against God? I love, I love, what, uh, I love what Caleb says here in uh, chapter 14, verses 8 and 9. He says, he spoke to the congregation, verse 7. He says, if the Lord is pleased with us, He'll bring us into this land and He'll give it to us. Verse 9. He says, do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people, for they shall be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear. I love that. (laughs) The Lord will keep His promise is what He's saying. Do you believe it? And I love that one verse where He says, He will turn our fear into our prey. How many of you... I won't. Okay, don't raise your hand. But I've had this experience. Something I greatly feared in the past and now I fear it not at all. Because God allowed me and He taught me how to attack it by faith. Right? Listen, He'll turn your fear into your prey. He'll do it. He'll do it if you'll trust Him and obey Him. Joshua and Caleb say the thing that I want to say to you tonight. The Lord is with us. Do not fear. And they call the people's unwillingness to believe and obey God, they call it rebellion. And God sees it that way too. Just briefly, we'll move on. In verse 11, um, the Hebrew verb is translated six different ways by various translators. God says, how long will this people spurn Me I looked it up in various translations. God is saying, how long will they despise Me, reject Me, provoke Me, ignore Me, have contempt for Me? So I'm going to let you read the rest of the account. I'm not going to go through it. I'll let you see what happens when people shrink back from obeying God. I'll let you see what happens. You probably know the story. Now we're going to look at Gideon. Let's turn over to uh, Judges. Just a few books over where Sean read for us. Judges chapter 6. And every January, I tried not to preach it this year. I really did. I, I, I told one of the elders, I'm not going to. He said, Yeah, you got to do it. I, every January, it seems like the Lord it requires me to stand there with Gideon and his 300 guys, outnumbered 450 to 1 and watch God rout the, rout the enemy. It's like, God wants me to never forget that <laughs> in the new year <laughs> when you're outnumbered. You know, when it doesn't add up on the paper as we were talking about. Every January, it's good for us to stand there and watch God rout this enemy. And let me just ask you before I begin, I don't know where your challenge is in 2014. I don't know where your test of trust will come. I don't know where it's hard for you to believe and obey. I don't know how impossible it it looks for you in 2014. But I want you to remember, your God is the God of Psalm 99, verse 1. He's the great reigning, sovereign God. So here, in Judges chapter 6, 
verse 1 and verse 6, we see why Israel has been subjugated because they had not obeyed the Lord. They had not obeyed the Lord. Verse 10, I have done wonders for you. I have delivered you, protected you, provided for you, God says, but you have not obeyed Me. So Israel has been subjugated by the Midianites. And then verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and he sat under an oak tree in Oprah. Now you guys know this is Old Testament code for God. Right? Anytime you see the angel of the Lord, this is, this is a technical phrase in the Old Testament. This is pre-incarnate Christ come to visit Gideon. And God calls him what? A valiant warrior. There's nowhere in Scripture to verify the fact that Gideon is a valiant warrior. In fact, all we can discern from Scripture is that his day job, he is a farmer. That's all we can discern. But God calls him a valiant warrior. Now wait a minute. Why is God calling him a valiant warrior? Oh, guess what? God's going to turn him into one, right? <laughs> Listen, I was once an accountant. Now I'm a preacher. My only point to you is, you may be on this course right now, but you need to, if you call yourself a Christian, you need to leave room for God to invade your life and blow it up because He might turn you into something else. I'm not saying He will. I'm saying He might. What if He shows up tomorrow and says to you, you know, greetings, O valiant warrior. You know, and, and you notice that Gideon doesn't really respond to that. It's like he just lets it go by because, yeah, that could really impact his very secure farming career, right? I mean, I don't really want, I think Gideon doesn't really want to know what that means. You know, being a valiant warrior, it sounds good in theory, but it could be dangerous in practice. And I think Gideon's just let, he just lets it go by. He doesn't seem to, to respond to it. I love what Matthew Henry says here. God begins the process of animating Gideon to undertake something great. Don't you love that? If you're a Christian, God is animating you. God's inviting you into Hebrews 11. Your life is one long invitation into Hebrews 11. What's Hebrews 11? Go read it. Men and women radically trusting and radically obeying Jehovah God. That's what your life... That's. That's what your life is supposed to be about on the earth if you are, in fact, a disciple of Christ tonight. So God is inviting Gideon into the hall of fame of faith. He will invite you into that hall of fame. He probably already has. The question is, how will you respond to His invitation? Verse 13 of Judges 6 Gideon says to the Lord, why has all this bad stuff happened? Why are the Midianites, why have they subjected us, uh, subjugated us? Because, you know, we heard about all your miracles down in Egypt. Where are all your miracles? And don't you love it? Verse 14, the Lord looked at him and He said, you be my miracle. Don't you love it? <laughs> you know, we're all like, we're not, you know, we're happy to complain. We're happy to say, well, things ought to be different. We're happy to be on a committee about it. 
But God looks him in the eye. I love it. God looks Gideon in the eye and says, you go do it. You got a problem with the way things are, Gideon? You be my miracle. Don't you love it? Listen, if you're a Christian, God's going to challenge you like that. You be His miracle. You be His deliverance. You be the manifestation of Christ in whatever the circumstance is. You be that. You be that. I love it. Verse 14, God says, you go do it. I love what John MacArthur says about this. He says, you know, most of us who profess to be Christians, we, we are so ready to assign our own feebleness to God. And we're going to hear Gideon say, I can't do it. You know, Gideon's looking at his resume. <laughs> you can know it's the call. One reason you can know it's the call of God is because it won't be on your resume. Right? It won't be on your resume. <laughs> it just won't be. Gideon says, I'm a farmer. God says, not really. Not anymore. You're my valiant warrior. Beloved, this is part of the, in my view, part of the excitement of being a Christian. God is always making you into something new. Always. It's never really going to get boring unless you allow it to become boring. And the way you allow it to become boring is to set limits on how much you'll believe and obey God. But if you... If... Uh, you don't set those limits. You have no limitation. You have no limitation with God. So when God brings you to the impossible, you look at your CV, you look at your resume, you look in the mirror and you go, okay, I, I, I don't think I can do it. Right? That's what the Christian does. The Christian looks in the mirror. When it gets hard, when it gets risky, when it gets costly, when it looks impossible, the Christian's supposed to look in the mirror. Right? Right? No. The Christian's supposed to look at what? God. We're supposed to look at the God of Psalm 99. The God before whom people tremble and the earth shake. That's our God. I'll not shrink back because our God is awesome. Gideon thinks he's a farmer. It's a great profession. It's a fine thing. But God's going to turn him into a valiant warrior. And I love verse 14. God says that that phrase that changes everything, God says, have I not sent you? <laughs> Doesn't that change everything? Have I not sent you? I love that. I love this. I just love this story. I, I do. I get really, as you can tell, excited about it. Where are your miracles, God? Get in. You go be my miracle. He's going to say the same thing to you at the university, in your job, in your home, in the neighborhood, you be the manifestation of God's power. In Wherever He's placed you, you be the manifestation of God's power. You be my miracle, believer. That's one great lesson that we can take from the text. Common sense tells Gideon that this is impossible. It's laughable. Um, but God says, I have sent you. Verse 16, The Lord said to Gideon, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. God turns farmers into valiant warriors. I know you know this. I say it to you a lot. Real Christians, I'm not talking about you know the ones that are just merely religious. 
I'm talking about the ones that are born again, the ones that love Jesus Christ with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Real Christians, we are not redeemed to be spiritual bystanders and onlookers. We are not called to be spectators. We are like Gideon. We are in the fight. We are in the spiritual battle. You guys know the story. Gideon asks for uh, three signs and he receives three signs. That third sign when he asks the Lord, he says, man, I, I hope you don't get mad at me, but I'm going to ask you for another one. And the Lord is gracious. You know, revelation was rare in that day and God is gracious to Gideon. But the point I want to make here from the text is, and it's a parenthetical point, that it's not normative for the New Testament Christian to, to ask, and ask God and receive signs in order to obey Him. You remember Jesus condemned the crowds and the Pharisees for seeking a sign. And so let me ask you, does faith come from signs? What does the Bible teach us? Does faith come from signs? What does faith come from? Where does faith come from? The Word of God, right? Faith comes from the Word of God. So what I want to say to you, beloved, here are your signs. Believe them. Believe what God has done in the past. Believe the promises of God. Believe and obey the Lord. So Gideon sends out messengers. I'm just going to briefly go through this. You know the story. 32,000 guys showed up. God says you've got too many guys. Why did they have too many guys? Someone tell me. Why do they have too many guys? God says you'll boast. I know how you are. <laughs> it almost looks possible, although they are still outnumbered four to one. God says it almost looks possible as I read between the lines. He says you got too many guys. So Gideon says all that are afraid go home. And 22,000 guys bail. So they're down to 10,000 guys, right? And God says you still have too many guys. It's the, the numbers now, are the odds are 13 to 1. But God says you have too many guys. He, he whittles it down to 300 men. It's now 450 to 1. God says, I'll deliver you with your 300 men. So what are the realities for these 300 men? You guys know the story, right? They have a torch with, with a pitcher over it in their left hand. They have a trumpet in their right hand. And they have a team cheer. And they're going to go face, they're outnumbered 450 to 1, and they're going to go face a, a real army with real swords and real spears and real bows and arrows and real clubs and real shields and real knives. You know, I think we divorce ourselves from these narratives sometimes. Listen, you've got to put yourself in the sandals of one of those 300 guys. Would you go? Would you go down? That's all they got! Oh, wait, they've got one more thing. What else do they have? Someone tell me. The God of Psalm 99. <laughs> the God before whom all peoples tremble and the earth shakes. They believed it. They lived like it. God delivered Israel through them. Beloved, I'm challenging you in 2014. Let there be an ambience of the greatness of your God in your life. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Do, do not indulge in anxiety. Because your God is a great God. You know the story, right? God routes the bad guys. 
And here's the, here's the truth I've experienced. Some of you could probably give testimony too. You know, when you engage in risky obedience and you're kind of scared, but you say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm a little scared here, but I'm going to do this because I believe you called me to do it and I'm going to trust you to show up. And then he shows up! It's the most wonderful experience in the world. Beloved, don't you know that the Lord loves to fill your heart with joy when He shows up? When you see Him coming and He shows up. Can you imagine the joy in these men's hearts? Can you imagine it? They overcame their natural human fear. They believed and trusted Yahweh. And Yahweh came. He always comes. You know, he always comes in the impossible place. And we're going to look at next week. He always comes in the hard place. In the impossible place, God comes to His children. And next week, we're going to see in that account of Job, God always comes to His people in the hard place too. So I want us to remember the implications. God is in a manger. And the God that's in that manger, He is God. He's the God of Psalm 99. He's a sovereign God. He's a good God. And He's a faithful God. And because all that's true about Him, you have license in 2014 to live your Christianity as big as you dare. And I'll just close with my favorite phrase. Oswald Chambers. You can obey the Lord with glad, reckless that's my invitation to you in 2014. That's why I have to preach this sermon every year. Because I want to be reminded and I want to be exhorted. I told you last week, the preacher's always preaching to himself. So, if it's not for you, it's for me. Because I want to be reminded, man, how awesome my God is and that He can be trusted. And I'm going to give 2014 to Him. And I'm going to obey Him with glad, reckless joy, whatever that looks like. Whatever it looks like. And that's my exhortation to you tonight, beloved. Let's pray together. What a great and mighty and awesome and compelling and beautiful and desirable God You are, Lord Jesus. Forgive us, Lord, when we lapse into dullness. When we become distracted with things in the world. When we allow ourselves to be intimidated. When we indulge our fears and our anxieties. We understand that this does not please You. Lord, I pray for each one of us in this room tonight that You will help us get some sense of just how free we are. Just how free we are to be disciples. Father, to obey You in the hard place and to trust You in the hard place. I pray we would learn this, Father. I pray that we would learn You correctly. What an awesome God! You have no colleague. You have no peer. You are infinitely good. And You are eternally faithful. Lord, I pray that we would believe it and we would live it for the glory of Jesus Christ in this new year. And we give all praise, glory, and honor 
to His matchless name. Amen.